Hello and welcome back. Uh, this is Cameron Jernigan. And this is Cameron Paul. And mm. welcome to the, what is it, 14th, 14th episode of the Donley Diaries. The Donley Diaries. So this week we're talking about attention, sleep, and the complicated role. So whenever I think about like attention, I don't necessarily think about sleep. I guess I'm pairing together. Yeah. But, I mean, it makes sense. Um, in my neurophysiology class, we talked about this idea. One of the, like, uh, hypotheses as for, like, what keeps us awake versus why uh-huh. we sleep is we're always trying to sleep. Hmm. Like, that's, like, our baseline. Sleep is, that, is the baseline? Is like, we're always trying to be asleep. Huh. But then by having our attention focused on something... That is what keeps us awake. Interesting. So that kind of that that's what I thought about. I that, feel like that's, that's what true. helped me pair. Well, yeah, because you got. I mean, you think I mean, about. I'm whenever, always trying to sleep. Whenever you get bored, uh-huh. you sleep. You just uh-huh. get tired whenever you're bored. Yeah. Um, which I don't think it's completely true, but it is an interesting hypothesis to think about that. It's like this idea of focus and attention on something that keeps our brains active enough to keep us awake. But mm-hmm. if we weren't focused on something, we'd go to sleep. Yeah. Anyways, so let's move into uh, our segment where we talk about what we found interesting from this week. So, Jern, what was it for you? What did you find interesting? Yeah, all right. Well, I honestly like a lot of this material. Sleep is something that I'm really passionate about, that I, that I like to partake in. So I thought learning about sleep and learning that the brain pathways revolving around sleep are super interesting. We talked about how melatonin is responsible for that sleep-wake cycle and how by having melatonin present and uh, available, you're going to cause suppression and a more of a sleepy attitude. Uh, so what I found really interesting about this idea of melatonin, because obviously I've known about melatonin for a long time and its role in the body. And you see nowadays a lot of even like vitamin supplements for kids or for people to take melatonin. And I kind of thought about that and I was like, I wonder why that's so prevalent now. People needed to take all this melatonin in order to fall asleep. Like what's being messed up there in the body. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of answered that by talking about how blue light suppresses melatonin secretion. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about how all forms of light have some sort of form of suppression on that melatonin secretion. However, it's, it's that blue light that comes from our screens um, and our, our, some of our ultraviolet lights and everything like that that's like super, super bad to the melatonin production. So I thought that that was really fascinating to think that all these screens that we're interacting with all day long are suppressing our body's ability to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's really strange, too, because I feel like most people spend the two hours leading up to bedtime on screens. Like, I feel yeah. like most people either are watching TV or before they go to bed. Or I know that I sit on my phone for like half an hour before I go to bed. Right. And I don't feel like I'm reducing my body's melatonin. But maybe I guess I'm just so tired at that point that I'm ready to fall asleep. But it's just interesting to see how different changes in behavior and different changes in our environment can modify our body's ability to go through the sleep-wake cycle, this rhythm, uh, the circadian rhythm that we've talked about. So I started just thinking about ways to kind of monitor the amount of blue light that I guess that I'm putting into my eyes right before going to bed. And I, I wondered if that would affect my sleep patterns. Would I sleep better? Would I feel more rested in the morning? Uh, that's something I'm definitely interested in. You should try that. I should. I think it'd be a fun little experiment. But also I could see how like light suppressing melatonin has a biological advantage mm-hmm. that way whenever it's bright outside you're, you're sticking with the light dark idea you're staying awake with the sun and becoming more tired when it goes away and that's something that everyone's known for a long time and that makes sense to us but 
it makes sense that light would suppress this melatonin secretion. So it's interesting to see the biological uh, origin of this idea of going to bed at nighttime. Yeah. But also I wonder if as a culture, if we need to, I mean, you've seen blue light glasses come in a lot to reduce headaches or things like that from a lot of people increasing their screen time during COVID. But I also guess I wonder if there's going to be any studies done on people's sleep cycles during COVID and if the amount of time we're spending on screens now, because it's drastically gone up during this last two years, if that's affected our society's ability to sleep or ability to make melatonin. Wow, that's a really interesting thought. Yeah, like check if there's, I wonder if there will be a study on like melatonin levels. Yeah. Just like like during this time period, like maybe even like generationally, like you talked about, like with an increase in, in screen time, just like as a society, like, I wonder if there have been studies in order to check levels of melatonin, just of like, like just in general Uh of, of people in the generation before us. And then if it'll come out that there is a decrease in melatonin in our generation, just because of that constant use of screens with blue light. All right, Cam. Well, what's something that you found interesting? Well, you kind of hit on it. It's it's this idea of light causing cycling of hormones such uh-huh. as uh, melatonin. Um, so I thought it was. I, I think that's really interesting that whenever it's daytime, we have the sun out and there's light, and it even happens like with our screens because we're still perceiving that as light. Right. So it it comes into our eyes and and hits our retina, and it causes this hormone cycling within the suprachiasmatic nucleus that's in the hypothalamus so like during during the daytime we won't get this expression and secretion of melatonin instead we'll have like excitatory neurotransmitters that are that are being released and and cycled so that we maintain our wakeful state Mm -hmm. and we're able to function and, and do the duties that we're supposed to do whenever it's daytime but then in the absence of this of the light hitting our retina, the suprachiasmatic nucleus will cause uh, neurotransmitters to be released that will in turn cause hormones like melatonin to be secreted, mm-hmm. uh, which will cause this sleepiness and cause us to go to sleep. And I think that's really interesting. And And also even without... Even without light, we still have this kind of internal mechanism, like our central clock, that tries to keep us on like our sleep schedule. Quote. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's why during nights when I pull all nighters, <laughs> which is not healthy, but like even if I sit in a room with all the lights on, it helps me not be as tired, mm-hmm. but I still feel exhausted right because there's still other things going on in your body that are trying to put you asleep because this internal clock is is causing this cycling of hormones and it's it's releasing (coughs) excuse me it's releasing melatonin into my body Mm -hmm. because it's time for me to go to sleep and my body my brain knows that right well yeah that's really interesting and it really leads perfectly into my discussion of my learning goals Mm -hmm. so one learning goal that i've hit on several times this semester has been the idea that what are some structures and functions in the brain that are causing behavioral and personality changes of an individual or an organism? So this idea of the sleep-wake centers that are in our brain within the hypothalamus um, really hits on that learning goal really well. So we talked about how you have this region in the hypothalamus called the subparavenicular nucleus, and then that divides into to communicate with the paravenicular nucleus and the dorsal medial nucleus, 
and how both of those can have different effects on our body and on the sleep-wake rhythm. How the activation of that paravenicular nucleus leads to the pineal uh, gland secreting melatonin and reinforcing that idea of sleep. Whereas if you activate the dorsal medial nucleus, you're activating, you know, a brainstem that's ascending the arousal system. So all of these different, all of these different brain regions within the body, within the hypothalamus, are all playing very different roles and contrasting roles in order to reinforce this idea that you were talking of, of like a circadian rhythm of, of a clock, of a sleep-wake cycle. So I thought it's really interesting to see that this idea of sleep isn't just um, isn't solely based on neurotransmitter release or neuroendocrine release like we were talking about with melatonin, but there's several different things going into that sleep-wake circadian, circadian rhythm cycle. And so it was neat to see that not only is it things like melatonin, but there's also enzymes that we talked about and structures that we talked about, such as like clock and BMOL, and how we have genes that are actually altering our behavior of sleep. So that was really cool, too, because you have this genetic component that's determining sleep for an individual and determining behavior. So it just there's a, a lot going on in the brain, a lot of regions, a lot of enzymes, a lot of genes and genetics that are all kind of just going to reinforce this circadian rhythm and this behavior of sleep that we see. Wow. Yeah. No, that really does tie in very well to what you wanted to learn. So, Cameron, what's a learning goal that you helped build upon this week, and what did you learn more about? So... This is what you talked about, but my learning goal is learning which everyday tasks can damage our neurons. And we talked about this for a while, about this idea of, of blue light causing a suppression of melatonin secretion. And I would agree that, you know, if I'm not, I, I feel like the majority of the time we're watching TV whenever we go to sleep. Uh -huh. I mean, every every night I fall asleep with the TV on because people are, are in here watching a, a show right. and, and that's what I just fall asleep to. So the last thing I look at before I go to sleep is a screen that is emitting blue light. Uh -huh. um, and if that's not happening, then I'm on my phone watching YouTube or whatever, something that calms me down. Right. But even though that's calming me down and like putting me in a, like a place of peace, uh -huh. it's, it's obviously like there have been studies to show that this blue light is causing melatonin to decrease within my body. And that's, that's weird to think about that. It's, it's causing not necessarily damage, but it's changing like how the neurons are responding. Like the, the suprachiasmatic nucleus is not then producing or releasing as much melatonin into the body. So I, I just found that really interesting. And I also found it interesting uh, I found this study that, cause I, I wanted to know more about this and why, why specifically it's blue light that causes it. Uh -huh. Um, and I didn't find why, but I did find that they've done studies to see if other forms of light can, can inhibit melatonin right. in the same manner. And so, uh, there was this, there was a study done at Harvard that looked at exposure of blue light and green light. Uh -huh. And they found that with six and a half hours of exposure, like that was like, that, that was their set amount of exposure for each kind. Uh -huh. Whenever you were exposed to blue light versus green light, the melatonin suppression was twice as long okay. in, in blue light. So I just, I thought that was really interesting. I, I wonder what it is about blue light that causes melatonin suppression more than any other color in the spectrum. Right. Like what, what is it that's, that's causing that? But overall, I, I just, I think that it's very interesting that, using our phones, using our screens, which is where we're moving as a society. Like 
at some point we will become paperless. Right. That's, that's weird to think about, but we will, like Uh it will just, it will just happen. We'll move into completely computerized online society. Um, and it's just going to increase our, our blue light exposure, unless there's some way to reduce it with, with the manufacture of new systems and things like that. But, um, I think it's, I think it's interesting that we're seeing such a large effect on our melatonin secretion. For sure. And that, that definitely hits your learning goals. Well, yeah. All right. Well, we can move into our last segment, which is going to be discussing some things that we found to be rather challenging from this section of material, or maybe just some things that we kind of understand and want to learn a little bit more about. Okay, Jern. So what was it for you that you found to be difficult in this section that you couldn't really wrap your brain around? All right. So we talked about how these uh, these genes called CLOCK and BMOL um, kind of helped control the sleep-wake cycle. We talked about how they go together to a start this cascade of reactions where you have the e-box and you're affecting uh, other other things like cry and purr and how this is inhibiting our e-box which is causing bmol to go up or down and this expression of bmol is causing our ability to sleep or to not sleep and all this is going on within the nucleus of the cell so i understand the basics of you have this pathway these genes are interacting with one another. You're getting transcription of different genes. You're affecting the transcription, which is going to cause you to be awake or asleep based off the products of that transcription and translation. And I understand like generally how that's happening, but the details of how these genes are genetically controlling our sleep is kind of strange to me. And it's taking me a little bit of time to wrap my head around. I think I'm also a little bit confused. Can you have malfunctions in these genes or can you have issues in these genes or do these genes vary in people with different mutations? And if that's true, would that drastically affect someone's ability to sleep? Uh, Is that something that could be fixed with medications or things like that? Um, So I guess this whole idea of genetic controllers of sleep, I understand on a general basis, but uh, I'd be interested to learn more about uh, specifically this pathway that clock and BMOL are activating, and then maybe uh, where these things can go wrong, some issues with these clock and BMOL genes, and what happens to individuals that have some issues uh, with those genes and mutations there. Hmm. Yeah. All right, Cameron, what about you? What's something that you found interesting? Well, one thing that I found challenging was this idea of really just overall the gut-brain axis. I've never I've, we've never talked much about it uh-huh. in our classes, and so this idea of of gut brain access is is kind of new to me. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how it's it's really the bacteria that are within our gut, like the, the our microbiome that lives in our in our gut, that causes all of these signals to go from the gut to the brain. I understand the signaling from the brain to the gut uh-huh. because they're signaling from the brain to everywhere. Right. That's what's controlling everything. But this idea of the microbiome being able to signal back to the brain and cause like release of neurotransmitters, cause activation of microglia, affect the blood brain barrier and, and, and other pathways, pathways I, I just don't really understand it. Like what is happening within these bacteria? Like what are they secreting? What, yeah. What's happening in, in, what's happening in my stomach that's making this happen? Uh-huh. Just, just that whole idea of the, of the gut brain axis. I just, I don't have a, a real great understanding of. So then talking about the kinurine pathway, uh-huh. it just adds another layer of like, okay, 
this pathway has an effect on the gut brain axis, but I don't really understand the gut brain axis in the first place. Yeah. So, so that's something that was, that was kind of confusing to me. Yeah. And I remembered, I remember talking a little bit about the gut brain axis in microbiology, but I never fully understood how exactly that's taking place and what's causing that. Like you said, is, is there some secretion of some chemicals from that bacteria? And, but I, one thing I do remember talking about is how much the gut microbiota changes from person to person. Mm-hmm. So if we're changing that gut microbiota from person to person, we all have different richness and uh, different things like that with that bacteria in our gut. It, does that mean that we're also modulating the ability of those individuals to sleep? Like the changes in our gut m- microbiota that vary from person to person alter one's ability to sleep or do other things. So yeah. I definitely also have a lot of questions with the gut brain barrier, especially like if you take antibiotics and you're yeah. killing those microbiota inside your gut, are you then having negative effects on other aspects of your brain? Cause this is just talking about sleep, but the gut brain barrier I'm sure does more than just like affect sleep. So when we're changing and altering that gut microbiota with uh, harmful things, such as antibiotics that we're taking as medication, is that causing some kind of negative um, effect on other regions of our functioning such as sleep? Well, I'm sure it does. I mean, since we see that the, the gut brain axis has so many effects and I think, I think that's why we've developed these different kinds of antibiotics. Like we have these, these narrow spectrum antibiotics that are designed to target specific types of bacteria. Um, and that's generally, well, if, if you're able to diagnose what bacteria you have, then it's a, it's a lot easier to describe uh-huh. these narrow spectrum. Right. But if you have people that are immunocompromised or people that are pregnant or young children or elderly people, um, then you do like, you have to think about maybe prescribing like a broad spectrum antibiotic that would possibly kill the majority of your gut microbiota. And then, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about. There has to be major effects. If we're talking about this just in the realm of sleep, like there obviously is, is a lot more that the microbiota is regulating than just sleep. Mm -hmm. There's a lot bigger effect than that. All right. Well, that about wraps us up for this week's episode of, the, the Donnelly Diaries. Diaries. We we'll hope you've enjoyed. See you next week.